Someone has said that the purpose of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. If that is true, then I suspect that some of you came here today feeling comfortable, comfortable with where you are in your own life and wanting somehow to be challenged. While others of us have taken our place in the wooden pews this day to rest a while from the troubles of this world and to hear again God's reassurance that all will be well. Either way, I suspect that all of us came here this morning to somehow be uplifted. We want to hear how God might lift us up into a life of meaning and a life of joy. I suppose you could say there's a way in which folks gather at a place like this for the same reason that folks watch the Super Bowl this evening. Now, if you're a football fan, you will watch for that amazing pass or that shocking breakaway dash for the end zone, or you'll tune in to cheer for the underdog or root for that one player who everyone said would never make it in the NFL. But even if you don't care a whit about football, you may tune in, why? For the commercials. <laughs> to be uplifted by that commercial that always has a puppy dog in it that somehow relates to how much beer you should drink. <laughs> or that cleverly designed ad that both warms the heart and makes you laugh and wakes you up to some current social issue. Do you remember that Duracell commercial that appeared in the Super Bowl about four years ago? It featured Derek Coleman, a player for the Seattle Seahawks. Do you remember that he had lost his hearing at age three and the commercial told in one minute his whole life story of being bullied on the playground, always being picked last for the teams, harassed by the coaches and failing to get drafted in the NFL. And Derek says in the commercial, everybody told me to quit. They told me it was over, but I'd been deaf since I was three, and so I didn't listen. <laughs> and the last scene of the commercial is of Derek Coleman entering the Super Bowl arena saying, and now I'm here with lots of fans cheering me on, and I can hear them all. And then there's the tagline that comes across the screen, Duracell, trust your power. Now that was uplifting, right? But I've been wondering why it is that Mark chooses this word lifted up in order to describe the moment that Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law. She was in bed with a fever. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And that's it. That's the whole healing story. He lifted her up. Later, Mark will use the word cure to talk about how Jesus healed the crowds that gathered around the door that evening, but here only lifted up. At first, I wondered if maybe Mark used this particular phrase to express that sometimes healing is more than a physical event. We don't really know what kind of fever she had. Maybe it was serious, like cancer, or maybe it was minor, like an ear infection, and maybe back then they didn't even know which it was. Today, we modern folks have fever for a variety of reasons, fevers that keep us in bed for the day, 
could be the flu, could be severe depression. Sometimes we just need to be lifted up out of the midst of a family crisis, or we could have a fever that was induced by an obnoxious and unreasonable boss in the workplace. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus lifted her up, that woman with the fever, to remind us that we too, as his followers, have the power to lift one another up, that we don't need to be a miracle worker or a physician to heal. I think about my friend Carol, who's a nurse navigator on oncology unit at a major medical center. She is one of those people that helps the patient navigate the process of healing, you know, all those different doctor's appointments and treatments and medicines that all have to be arranged in a particular path. She does that, and she's good at it, but a few years ago, she hit a snag with a particular patient. This gentleman lived a couple of hours away from the city, usually in his car, sometimes in a trailer. All of the money that he earned at his pretty well-paying job went to pay child support, and he was unable to take time off of work to come in town for the treatment because his kids were relying on that income. Then she convinced him to come into the city and get the treatment, but the hospital would not administer the treatment because between treatments, he would need to stay with another person, and he knew no one in the city. He lived in his car. They wouldn't allow that. And so she began to call around to different homeless shelters and find someone who would allow him to stay there during the treatments. But you know, the shelter's empty during the day. They have no one there who could look after him in the day. And finally, when she was just about to give up, she found a small shelter run by a Catholic priest who said, yeah, he can stay here during the day and we have someone who can monitor him in between treatments. Sometimes you need more than a medical intervention in order to heal. You need someone to lift you up like my friend Carol did for this special patient. A few weeks ago, I chatted with a friend of mine who's going through the issues related to infertility. All her friends are now having their second child, their third child, and she and her husband can't get pregnant. She had been to see a counselor. She shared with him her worries, her fears, her guilt, her anger, and he listened. After an hour, she said to him, thank you so much. I'm feeling so much better right now. And he said to her, well, I'm glad, but I didn't really do anything. You did the work. You reflected back to me what was happening. You named it out loud. And she said, no, but you reassured me. You reassured me that I'm not the only woman in the world who feels this way. He lifted her up just by listening. Nothing changed, but she left his office feeling alive again, free and hopeful. And you know what? You don't have to be a professional counselor to just listen well to someone else and lift them up. In Mark's story about lifting up another person, we learn that even Jesus needed to be lifted up on occasion 
After healing all those crowds that pushed around the door that evening at sunset, Jesus was exhausted, worn out. And so very early in the morning, before the sun comes up, he steals away to a quiet place to just have some time with God, to converse, to pray, to listen to the silence. Suddenly, his friends are hunting for him. Did you hear that? Not looking for him. They're hunting for him. You know what it feels like when someone is hunting for you so that you will get back to work. That's what they wanted him to do. Jesus knew the struggle of finding peace and quiet with only God as a companion. A few weeks ago, I had just finished a morning walk with my neighbor. It was dark, so I drove to her house and was driving back home. And as I got into my car that morning, I realized that my head was already popping like popcorn with all the thoughts that were coming up of events of the day. Still there in the dark, I thought, this can't be good. And as I put my key in the ignition to turn on the car, I heard the voice of God through NPR. You know how that happens. A scientist was there telling some obscure study about how distracted we Americans are and how difficult it is for us to remember and focus. And the story went on to tell about how famous folk like J.K. Rowling and Mark Twain were masters at cutting themselves off from all the other distractions and communication isolating themselves so that they could hone their creative craft. The story said that as long as we keep just answering those emails and sending those texts and posting on social media, that we will not be able to protect our minds. We will be so distracted that we will be unable to think deeply and to remember what matters. He's, they said, we become like a human network router, just receiving and giving information, but not thinking and living deeply. All human beings need time, regardless of whether you lived in Jesus's day or Mark Twain's day or this modern technological age, we need holy quiet, peace, meditation, reflection, where we can discover again the marvelous creature that God created each one of us to be. Perhaps this is the reason that we resist letting Jesus take us by the hand and lift us up. We don't want to change. We're content to stay where we are. Jesus lifted her up and she began to serve. The word for serve is diakonia. Our word deacon comes from that word. Deacons, those who serve to the community, the bread and wine of heaven. It was a holy serving that he lifted her up to do. He didn't lift her up so she could watch the next season of The Crown. He lifted her up so that she could get her hands dirty helping those in need. Sometimes we just don't want to do it. We don't feel like serving. We worry. 
If we lift up another, we risk getting stomped on ourselves. To offer someone else time and money and opportunity is to risk losing a part of our own self, our own limited time and treasure. We know, we know, we know it's true that giving ourselves away in love does bring joy, but we also know there are only so many hours in the day. I usually think of Americans as being pretty generous folk, but recently I learned that 76% of Americans give no time to any charitable cause. Not money, time. We say, oh, I'll, I, don't, I don't have enough money, but I'll give time. 76% of us give no time. And of those who do give time to a charitable cause in the community, many of us give to a place that directly benefits our family. I think of those years that I volunteered at my son's private school to serve hot lunch once or twice a month. Now, technically, this was giving time to a not-for-profit, but actually it served me as a parent, saving me tuition money that I, we would have had to pay to hire somebody to run that program, and putting me in daily contact with my son's community of friends and teachers. If Jesus lifts us up to serve the poor, and the sick, and the hungry, and the lost, then maybe we'd like to say to Jesus, no thank you, go lift someone else up. But Mark is sneaky. The Gospel of Mark knows that we disciples are often resistant in following Jesus. Mark's Gospel is full of folks who just never quite get it. And so Mark again uses this phrase, lifted up at the end of the story of the good news. After the crucifixion, after the crowds have dispersed, a few women show up in the graveyard to take care of the body of Jesus. And there, when they go to the tomb, they find that the stone has been rolled away. And someone there in the graveyard says to them, Jesus isn't here. He has been lifted up, raised to new life. In English, in your Bible, it says that he was raised, but in Greek, it's the same word. What he did for Simon's mother-in-law is what God did for Jesus, lifted him up to live again, to be awakened, to live in a way never lived before. Jesus offers Simon's mother-in-law a chance to live the resurrected life, to be the person God created her to be, to be her whole self. To be raised is to be restored to our full selves. In the late 1800s and in the early 1900s, after slavery in this country was declared illegal, but the Jim Crow laws were still holding African Americans back from equal access to education and a host of other opportunities, African American women across this land formed clubs. And these clubs were for the purpose of promoting education and self-help and various other support functions. And recently, I was able to view one of the banners 
that came from one of these clubs. It was a purple satin banner with gold fringe across the bottom and gold letters capturing the club's motto, which was, lifting up as we climb. I love that phrase, lifting up as we climb. Isn't that what we Christians are about? In a world full of hurt and trouble, we go forward in the name of the risen Christ, lifting up as we climb. It is not the easy way, but it is the good way. Last week in Washington, D.C., Dave and I toured this new museum dedicated to the news in this country. I thought it would take about 45 minutes. We were there at least four hours and didn't see it all. One of the most moving displays in this museum called the Newseum, the Museum of News, was the coverage of, that the press did on 9-11 of the tragic events of that day. You may recall that there was this one professional photographer named Bill Biggert who was at home that day in his apartment with his wife. They lived not too far from the World Trade Center and so they were able to watch what was happening out their window. After they saw the fire, Bill decided he had to go. He grabbed his camera bag, he loaded up all of his cameras, and he took off. His wife, of course, pleaded with him not to go, but he insisted. When everyone was running away from the buildings, Bill was running towards those towers. After the first tower fell, Bill and his wife talked on the telephone. He assured her, I'm safe, I'm with the firefighters, and I'll see you in 20 minutes. And then he went missing. As I watched this video in the museum where his widow told the story of that day, what I noticed was that there was not a hint of resentment or anger or bitterness or second guessing in her voice, she knew, she knew Bill. She knew that he had to go, had to be there. This was his life. He was there to tell the story in photographs, to report the news through his lens. He was lifted up for this. Four days later, someone found Bill's camera bag amidst the rubble. The film was still in the camera. His wife knew that when they developed that film, that she would see in the last photograph taken, the last thing that her husband saw before his death. And sure enough, he was looking up. Once we are lifted up by God and raised to new life, we embark on a risky path. But why would we want to live any other way if we could live as those who are raised with Christ into new life?